0: In three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of What the Pleep? Are they talking about the podcast where we help you understand what everyone is talking about in the news today? I'm Jack.
1: I'm Jennifer. And
0: before we get started, make sure you share this content with everybody.
1: And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us on all the social media. And remember, if you're not only following us, we get sad and we don't think you love us. So do that.
0: And we want you to love us. We especially want you to love our special guest today... Michael Hackmer. Michael, introduce yourself to the audience.
2: Sure. Hey, Jack, Jennifer, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Uh, I'm the vice chairman of communications for the Reform Party of the United States. I'm also the chairman for the Reform Party of Virginia, and I also run a marketing agency here in the greater D.C. area. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks and thanks so here. much for for joining us. Um, so what's it like being the chairman for the Reform Party? How did you get that role and how did you how did you fall into it?
2: Yeah. So great question. So I got I got involved in the Reform Party probably back in the early 90s when I was in high school. So uh, talking with you young folks makes me feel so old because because uh, I was a kid back in those days and uh i'd stayed with the reform party for a number of years doing different things but uh, i would say probably this last year has been the first year that i've been involved in the executive committee and executive role so we so i was elected during our last national convention in 2020 and i took this position uh, i was originally elected to be the secretary uh, for the party and then we decided to divide that job into two jobs because uh Handling all communications as well as all of the sort of legal secretary duties that that come in uh, involved for a national political party is just too much for one person. So we split the job in half and uh, I still feel like I'm, I'm overwhelmed at times with work because it's uh, marketing communications is a lot of work. Um, so that's that's basically what I've been doing for the last year or so.
0: So is your main role just kind of pushing the reform party's message and getting people kind of interested in in the reform party?
2: That's a that's a fair characterization. So I I manage all of our communications, all of our marketing, all of our digital properties and uh, and basically a lot of our, our direct member communications and things like that. So, you know, we've. We've taken things from where they were. We were very much a party that seemed to be kind of stuck in the 1990s in a lot of our operations. And so we've just been going through for the last year, just updating everything, implementing new CRMs, marketing automation platforms, uh, tackling you know different social media channels. All of our member communications and really being much better about how we reach out to people, how we communicate with people. Uh, in fact, in the next few weeks, we're going to be launching a members-only platform, which is going to be through uh, through the web that people are going to be able to come in, log in, get access to a whole bunch of really great information, um, content, resources, other things that they can share. So it's uh, it's been an exciting time. It's definitely a lot of work, uh, but I love it. It's great to get a chance to talk to people and, and get out in front of the media, but also really get out to the different states and talk to people about what's going on and, and you know, what are the issues that they care about.
0: It's actually interesting that you mentioned the members only area because I watch a lot of different YouTubers and they're always talking about how they're creating their own members platform. A lot of that has to do with how you know uh, individuals are being deplatformed from YouTube and they just want to make sure that they get their user base. But what was the idea for creating that members space? Are you going to be producing your own content to kind of get more? I'm guessing you're going for a younger audience if you're trying to to upgrade everything. Are you going to be producing content or anything that? like that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So I think we're definitely looking to get younger. Um, You know, a lot of the traditional Reform Party membership base tends to skew a little older um, veterans, retired military, um, you know, and and folks like that. But we're definitely getting a lot of of younger voters and younger Americans who are really interested, um, just tired of the the duopoly tired of two party Mm -hmm. politics, they see the, you know, it's sort of like, you know, when you're in high school and you played volleyball, right? You know, it seems like every four years someone yells, rotate, and everybody just kind of turns around. And it's, you know, eventually this, you know, people who were serving, you know, eight years ago are back in the same role that they were in before, and nothing really changes. And I think people are just kind of fed up with it. And so Mm -hmm. we are definitely getting a lot of interest from younger voters. Um, Definitely. Also, people people of color, um, you know, a lot of minorities in particular that are interested, that are very disaffected with the way the Democratic Party runs, uh, you know, they, they beg and they plead for the votes and then elections happen and then there's no change. And so I think people are starting to realize that, uh, you know, th- that a third party would be much more beneficial to them because it increases their voice, increases their power, um, because without you know, a challenge to the two party system, they get taken for granted. And, and I think most voters do start to feel like they're getting taken for granted by the two parties. So yeah, the members only platform it's, we're not, we don't look at it as uh, in the same way, maybe some of our, you know, friends in the Republican party would say, right? That they feel like that they're being censored or, or other kinds of things. But it is a chance to give people a little bit more of a tailored and and specific user experience that they won't get in a youtube or a twitter where there's a lot of noise a lot of different things going on this gives people more of a centralized channel where they can come in access documents they can access videos they can access you know the 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 best memes that they can then take and share and and all those kinds of things and then if they have questions um you know about uh, certain issues they're in a friendly kind of environment where people are not going to be um, hostile judgmental uh it's just more of an education opportunity for people and and so that's that's really kind of the direction that we're trying to go in
0: here's an idea for you and i'm just thinking of this now what about content that is about open and honest debate because that's something me and jennifer try to do Uh, but i'm thinking if you bring on a republican and you bring on a democrat and maybe bring on someone from the middle whether it be the reform Mm -hmm. party or what have you and then just have that like a just a open platform debate it's recorded and it's just a nice honest conversation to see where people do agree rather than trying to look at where they're different but looking at how they might agree Because I think when, like you mentioned, the two-party system, a lot of the times people see it as I have to vote for this person. Um, I don't agree with some of it, but it's really all or nothing.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's. We're definitely looking at that as a as a way, particularly with particularly with upcoming in the upcoming months. We're looking at for issues forums. How can we do something a little bit different, right? Because if you if you go to a Republican Party or a Democratic Party event on an issue, whether it's education reform or healthcare, you're pretty much gonna get just one perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And and with you know, with the Democrats, it's gonna be, hey, we're all for Medicare for all, we're all for this, 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 and this, right? And Republicans, they're gonna talk about, well, we gotta cut taxes, we gotta do this, this, and this. And and I think what's happened as, as time has gone on is people have kind of fallen into these default modes of ideology. And, and one of the best things about the Reform Party is we're not an ideologically driven party, right? We're, we're not gonna say everything needs to be a government solution or everything needs to be a private sector solution. We really quite literally want to find the best way to fix a problem, right? Whether it's healthcare, education, um, you know, improving transportation, uh, whatever it is that's that's our that's our our focus and so I think when we look at doing our issues forums and other kinds of events uh, we absolutely want to have multiple perspectives and and not just come in and say hey here's what it is here's here are the you know data points here are your talking points now they'll go uh, we really want to have a good debate we want to bring people together to say okay um, you know let's understand the complexities of these issues and and let's really dive into it and and we've had this conversation particularly within our our sort of our executive and national committee meetings uh just on healthcare as an example and and everyone has so many different perspectives because some people work in the industry in different roles other people just have had bad experiences and it's all of those experiences and perspectives that really help to drive, well, what are the answers? How do we solve these problems? And and you come up with a lot of different solutions. And that's really, I think the key for us going forward is to be that party of solutions, be the party of active listeners, the party that's going to listen to all the different voices out there and say, okay, now let's put all this stuff onto the table and let's try to start to stitch this together to say, okay, what's gonna work? What's gonna get the job done? How can we move the ball forward and, and actually achieve some success? Because you know, right now we're really kind of in a stalemate uh, on a lot of policy issues. And, and the truth of the matter is, and you probably see this, right? Is that the two parties actually succeed by failing. You know, And it's sort of a weird way of looking at it because you know, they don't get as much money from fundraising if they actually solve problems. And, and so it's better for them to actually not be successful and say, well, it's not our fault. It's these guys over here. And if you give us more money, we can beat them in the next election. And it's an endless cycle like that. I mean, that's why we don't have equal pay for equal work. We don't have any kind of education change in this country. Healthcare has been fairly stagnant wage growth. You know, now we've got huge inflation in this country that's really outpacing wage growth. So there's a lot of problems. But the two parties aren't coming together to fix them. They're just really kind of stuck in their worldviews. And we have to try to break through that.
0: How do you think the Reform Party is going to be able to do that? Because when I think of modern politics, I think of the vitriol that people have for the opposing side. And I realize that it's very easy for people to feel angry and then get active. But if Mm -hmm. you're in the middle, there's going to be... I would assume very little vitriol against Republicans or Democrats because it's more of a policy focused initiative rather than a hating the other side initiative. So without that anger, um, would it be more difficult to attract people to the reform party, especially during the election cycle when that starts gearing up?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting thought, right? And I think, I think there is anger and there's a lot of anger for, for people for different reasons, right? Uh, I mean, right now, if you look back, maybe a couple of months ago, about 62% of the country thought that we were on the wrong track. Now it's 71%. You've got over 62% of the country, including Democrats, Republicans, who actually want a third party. And I think, you know, it's, it's difficult for some third parties to kind of crack into that duopoly, right? Because a lot of the rules are, are structured uh, to prevent independent candidates from getting involved. So there's no doubt, you know, it's a tough battle. But I think from a messaging perspective and the way we want to approach it is to, is to really try to change the tone of the conversation when we get out in front and meet people. And that's to say, look, we have these ideas. We're, we're here to listen to you. And I think when you see some of the local races in particular, um, you know, great example is that race up in New Jersey where the guy who, who you know, drives a truck for a living, um, you know, spent, uh, you know, maybe a few hundred, a few thousand mm-hmm. dollars in his entire campaign and he and he won. And, and And how did that happen? Well, because he was just very assertive in talking with people and meeting people, but also people identified with him. And I think this is something that can really aid us as we start to. Um, recruit candidates and build momentum in 2022 is that people are going to see us as not sort of the elite political class or not the sort of political consultant class, um, but more of their friends, their neighbors, the people who get them and understand them and are are there to serve them in public office. And I think that's going to be our key and, and, you know, We'll see how it turns out, but that's I think that's going to be the approach that we'll take going forward in 2022 and beyond.
0: And I think you're on the right track because it sounds like you're doing yeah. a, a very large rebranding and a, a large outreach. And I think that would be most important because for me and, and Jennifer included, we didn't know yeah. about the Reform Party. We didn't know about the Unity Party or any of the other centrist parties until we actually started to look into, well, who's the other parties who are not being represented in Florida right now? We should contact them and see maybe how we could cooperate.
2: Yeah, sure. And and that's, and that's the interesting thing uh, is that we get a lot of search traffic from people who are looking for exactly those things. They're looking for an alternative. Uh, I would say that You know one of the fascinating things that separates the reform party maybe even from some of the other parties with the exception probably of the libertarians because they've also been around probably uh they've been around longer they've been around since the uh, i think the late 70s i want to say um but but the brand name of the reform party is actually still pretty well known we still get probably about you know, 10, 20, 30,000 searches a month just on the Reform Party in the United States, simply because people remember the Reform Party from the 90s and the early, um, you know, part of this century. And so that's kind of a helpful thing for us. People remember Ross Perot uh, and some of his, uh, you know, quirky mannerisms and his, you know, fun, you know, quotes and expressions and things like that. So we certainly want to leverage that, uh, that brand identity, uh, because I think people know us, Based upon a lot of those things, so we've got a Ross's Right campaign that we're kicking off in the next few weeks, uh, just to kind of remember a lot of those things from, from the '90s and from those campaigns. Um, but like you said, you know, I think it's it's really a question of of we have to get younger and we have to appeal to people who are younger and um, you know, and and go where people are and where they're having political conversations, like like here, in your <laughs> podcast and elsewhere. Uh, And that's how we can, I think, make some headway in 2022.
0: Absolutely, because I feel bad, because me and Jennifer are young, and we didn't know. So... Certainly, older individuals would be more aware of Ross Perot Mm -hmm. and the Reform Party back in the 90s. So I think targeting that younger demographic is perfect. How, for someone who doesn't know, how does the Reform Party differ from the Libertarian Party? Because the Libertarian Party does kind of claim to be in the middle, but they are different in they want very limited government. So how does the Reform Party look? Or does it just depend on the issues in question?
2: It's a, it's a good question. So I think, you know, first and foremost, what one of the big differentiators with the Reform Party is that we don't take positions, on, at least at the national level or the state level, on social issues. And, and the reason why we do that is because we think it's really poor form, you know, for the national parties to say we're pro-choice, um, we're, you know, pro-life, we're, we're this, we're that on all of these kinds of issues, because every community is a little bit different. And and we really believe that candidates should determine that for themselves. And and so I think I think that's that's a key attractive differentiator for us between all of the parties Uh, when it comes to the libertarians in particular. They're very ideological in the sense that, you know, much of what they base all of their decisions on is that concept of individual freedom. Uh, I, I remember years ago when Harry Brown ran for president. One of his great campaign slogans was, "Would you be willing to give up your favorite government program if it meant you never had to pay income tax again?" And you know, on the you know, if you don't sit down and really think about it, you're just sort of like, "Oh yeah, sure, that's amazing. I don't have to pay income taxes. That would be great." And you know, and so. But then, you know, well, then how do you fund, you know, the government and the operation of the government? Well, then you go to the Kodak, you know, um, you know, Yellowstone National Park. Right. Or you go to the, um, you know, Exxon Mobil Statue of Liberty. And, you know, and then all of our you know soldiers become like NASCAR drivers. Right. With uniforms, with logos and things. And and so I think that at times the libertarians can take their ideological approach to, to of limited government. And really take it to extremes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we tend to look at things a little bit differently in that. You know, technology has really changed the world around us, and it's changed the world in really significant ways. It's changed us um, in terms of how productive we can be. It's changed us culturally. Um, you know, you're you're a little, you're younger, but you know, in the '80s we had huge debates about the nuclear family. And, and, the, and the sort of falling of, of the nuclear family, right? How can we strengthen the nuclear family? We don't talk about the nuclear family anymore, right? This idea of a man and a woman and 2.3 children and a dog, right? It's, it just doesn't exist as a concept because technology has completely shaped our concept of individuality and, and identity and other kinds of things so that family structures are completely different but we have two parties that are stuck in ideologies, and the libertarians, I would say, would be the third party, kind of stuck in ideological views, where it's just sort of a one-to-many kind of perspective, right? If it doesn't fit within our ideology, we're going to force it to fit into our ideology, and we don't really look at it things like that. You know, we're we're a lot more flexible as far of, as far as our solution sets can be. It really comes down to what works today, and what can we see how this particular solution that we have, how effective is that going to be 10 years from now and 15 years from now? Let's not just come up with a quick solution to say we solved a problem, kick the can down the road or, or reach into our bag of, you know, historical, you know, anecdotes and policies and say, well, FDR did this in the forties. So let's try it today. And, you know, that's what drives me crazy in particular about Democrats is they, they all wanna become New Deal Democrats to say, well, look, that worked in the 40s for a specific reason. It's not gonna work in you know, our modern society today where everything is driven by AI and virtual reality and, and the internet and mobile technology. It's, it's a different world, right? So I think we're a little bit different in that sense. We're very focused on getting to the root of the problem looking at how society is working, looking at how technology is impacting us, and saying, okay, well, what's really gonna work today, and, what's, and how is that gonna scale over time, and is it gonna work over time? And, and I think that's gonna be something that I think a lot of people are gonna find very refreshing. People are frustrated because mm-hmm. they see a lot of inactivity, and you know, I think the budget debate in particular drives people crazy. You know, It's like September 15th rolls around, And everybody on Capitol Hill looks at each other and they say, hey, did you know we have to pass a budget by the end of this month? And it's like, it's like, wow, like this, like it doesn't happen every year. Guys, the federal fiscal year ends on September 30th every single year and has for decades, right? But it's a surprise to them because they're not thinking long term. They're not even thinking really well short term. And they're not really focused on problem solving. They're just recycling and recycling and 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 i think that's something that we'd like to see changed
1: i think was- that i think that's the the thing that's gotten me the most frustrated with politics in the past few years is everything is so like emotions fueled and you have to be like always on top or like on edge or on your game to be like well no I don't believe in that so so I'm not a terrible person I promise like you are always defending yourself almost yeah and and the current shape of like our political system is kind of driving that and so you're always on edge and you're always like oh my gosh am I gonna be labeled something that I that I'm not so yeah I definitely like where you're coming from
2: yeah, it's it's there's definitely a fear factor. I think people are are concerned about how they're going to be portrayed, um, you know. And and I think social media certainly contributed a lot to that, right? Where okay. people come in and and they they take one statement that you have, and you know, and and, and in 15 seconds, you've become a Nazi or you have become a communist, and you're just sort of like, oh my god, I just I, I just was saying I really like Taco Bell. I don't really understand yeah. how this happened, you know. I mean, <laughs> And it's just, it's, it is this crazy. And and I think, you know, a lot of it is because we've lost, um, we've lost some context, right? You know, we don't think of things in terms of context. We tend to think of things in absolutes. Um, you're either right or you're wrong. And I think a lot of it is, is not just so much social media driven, but I think it's driven by the two party sort of the duopoly system that we have, because, you know, we talked a little bit about anger before, right? But anger is a very fleeting kind of emotion, right? You can only stay angry for so long. you know. Before that emotional energy, you just become exhausted and then you're just kind of numb. And and so politicians are always looking for that way to make you feel even angrier than you were 10 minutes ago or a day ago. And And as a result, there's just that constant need to escalate the anger and the tension. And I think it forces people to completely lose perspective over what's happening and what people are talking about. Um, and, and really people cease to listen and, and that's creating just a lot of tension between people. And I think if we can come in and make a difference, I, you know, even beyond getting people elected to office, you know, I think one of the great differences that we can make as a party is to help bring people back down a little bit, right? And, and just sort of ease some of that tension, ease some of that fear and say, look, you know, part of what makes this country great is that we make mistakes, but we learn from them, right? We don't always say the right thing at the right time, but our intentions, you know, are are not always, you know, malicious. You know, where we're just we're trying to think through it. Give us some space and allow us to do that. And and I think that's been something that's been missing probably for the last, you know, ten to fifteen years, and it seems to be getting worse. So if we yeah, can yeah. come in and and help to tone things down a little bit and get people to say, okay, you know, um, it's not just let's have a conversation, but let's talk about the proper way to have a conversation and then go from there. And I think I think people will find that refreshing as, as we move along, so,
0: but we'll see. I, I think people are craving that, wanting to see, I, I think people I are craving that, yeah. and I think people need that, especially younger individuals yeah. need to see politicians having rational, conversations rather than having tweets pulled up or just bashing each other in screaming. quick seg- segments on the media. I think they need yeah, to see it, how people so have normal conversation,
2: right? Yeah, it's so narcissistic. I mean, you know, people love people love the personalities because they associate that 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 aggression and that that attacking kind of mentality with strength. But the reality mm-hmm. is, is that um, is that politicians who do that, they're really just trying to fuel their own egos. It's not really about making any headway. If you think about some of the most ineffective politicians, they tend to be the ones that the loudest voices. Yep, they right? say I mean, that all the time. Someone,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Like AOC, you know, she makes some they great points, policy. but then she goes a little crazy and she, uh, you know, and, and she and, you know, Senator um uh, from Massachusetts. Uh, oh gosh. I...
0: Stacy Abrams.
2: <laughs> no, no, from Massachusetts. Um, mm. I'm trying to think of her, uh, her name, but at any rate, um, she, uh, she, they talk about not wanting to compromise. Compromise is not part of the equation, right? And so they deal in these extremes, but the problem it becomes is that people look at them in the way, same way they look at a Trump and they say, well, you know, you're great because we love the fiery rhetoric. We love the intensity. We love the anger. We love the passion. But at the end of the day, they're not really super effective when it comes to actually legislating, getting things done. I mean, AOC is one of the most ineffective Congress people in, in all the House. And According Trump, to research.
1: Talk,
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Trump, for all of his talk and everything, you know, so much of it was just that. It was just talk. You know, when he got elected... Mm-hmm. There was a huge decline in illegal immigration. And he said, see, we're winning, you know, it's my policies are working. But there were no policies. People were just afraid because they heard what he was saying. Then when they realized that nothing had actually changed, then illegal immigration just shot right back up. Deportations didn't, you know, happen at high rates like he claimed and other kinds of things. So it's, it's a question of getting beyond sort of the bluster and the, you know, rhetoric and the rhetorical nonsense that people get into, and really getting back to the issues that matter to people and talking to them on their level, but also listening to people. And I think that's where that's where people are going
1: to start to see a difference. And it's funny, because I feel like we pretend that Trump did this the worst. And like, maybe it even started with him. But then none of the other politicians are any better, because they do the exact same things. It's just are they saying what you agree with versus you didn't agree if, if someone didn't agree with Trump? So they do the same yeah. thing that that they hated on him for doing for four years.
2: Yeah, it's been a steady evolution, and it's it's like I said, you know, when the moment they realized that, well, hey, we don't we don't pass this bill, but we blame the other side, then we get millions of dollars from people who say, yeah, we'll help you win the next fight but they have to keep on raising it up another notch and making and, and sort of demonizing people even more. And I think what happens too is, is that it's not just demonizing other people, but it's also moralizing your own position, right? And, and so it's, it, it's gotten to such an extreme where Anything, you know, it becomes the fight of good against the Nazis or, you know, good against evil and, and, you know, trying to, you know, save the world and all this other kind of stuff. And it's 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 completely devoid of perspective and context. And and I think people are starting to get just emotionally exhausted as well as physically exhausted by it all.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. It's
0: exhausting. Uh, Ayanna Presley is who I meant to say, not Stacey Abrams.
2: Oh yeah, no, she's uh, she's on the house side. Yeah, she is a member. Uh, Presley is a member. I, I mm-hmm. was thinking of uh, of the um, of the junior senator from Massachusetts, uh, oh. and I you know who I'm talking about. She has glasses, and I can't uh, from Massachusetts. Elizabeth I can't even think of her name. So was that? Yeah, Elizabeth Warren. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay, that's who I was thinking of. Because if you remember, you know, she um, she lost the New Hampshire primary when she ran for president. And she has the access, being a Massachusetts Senator, to that New Hampshire media market from being in Boston. And and what happened was um, when you looked at the exit poll data and you looked at the data from who voted, um, she lost in a lot of key demographics, particularly among men and, and, and even some women, because because she changed the tone of her rhetoric during the course of the campaign to become very, very hostile, very, very direct, uh, on a, on a few core issues to really try to think in her mind that she was thinking, well, I'm going to really tap into this progressive base, um, you know, and and steal votes from Bernie Sanders and do all this other kind of stuff. And then the reality was because she alienated herself from a broader voter group, people just became very turned off, and 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 that's what cost her the New Hampshire primary. Uh, and and so it's sort of an interesting lesson. Um, and then what happens is, at the end, she blames sexism. She blames the media. And, and I think people are so turned off by politicians who lack that ability to self-reflect, right? To really look at themselves and say, you know what? I kind of screwed up here. And I need to own that. And I need to get better. Um, you know, blaming everybody else for your mistakes. Um, you know, it just you'll, you'll get some takers. There'll be some people who buy into it. But most of the people see through that, and and I think that that kind of really dimmed her star quite a bit um, as the rest of that election kind of unfolded, so.
0: The same thing could be said about Andrew Yang. That was something that made me lose interest in him, was kind of further into his campaign, he started embracing kind of the vitriolic behavior as well. He started saying, you know, nasty things about Republicans such, and that was a turnoff for me. I. I would agree that it's, it's yeah. not something anyone wants in their politician, and unfortunately, they get it regardless of who they're voting for, usually, because they think that's what people want to hear.
2: Well, they've, they've, they've triumphed by using negativity for so long that they, they sometimes can't see that it's not working, right? When, you know, Because they don't take that step back and really kind of look at things uh, in, a, in an objective kind of way. And and Terry McAuliffe did this too in um, in the Virginia election, which just happened. And I know we're you know we're thinking about talking about that tonight. But you know he really he really stuck to his guns on on some very specific topics. And then when he realized that things were not breaking his way, he he ditched talking about Trump all the time because he was trying to use that to encourage people to turn out. And instead, he just went after parents and he went after this other stuff, calling it you know, CRT is not real, and, and all of these other kinds of things. And, and he really wasn't looking kind of a few layers underneath the conversation and the tone to get a feel for what the real issues were, what was driving parents. It made him look like he was disconnected uh, and, and that he really wasn't paying attention. And people hate that, you know, the worst thing that you can do is when you go to, you know, the perfect example of being in Loudoun County in Virginia, you go to school board meetings and you can see that the school board members are sitting there and they're texting people. They're not looking at the camera. They're not paying attention to what you have to say. You've got one minute to make a point and and they're blowing you off. And and for parents, that just drove people crazy because it happened again and again and again. And you amplify that times a hundred when you've got a politician running for governor who says, yeah, I don't really think that you should be making decisions for your kids about what they learn in schools. And it's like, oh, all right, well, (laughs) hit the road, pal. (laughs) And that's kind of the attitude that I think a lot of voters took. They just, they were tired of the arrogance, really.
0: Do you think that's why the outcome for the the Virginia election was different than New Jersey or, say, the California recall election? Because when I think of those two, and I'm not sure if New Jersey... I don't know if they've called it yet, but it seems like it's going to, to Phil Murphy. Close. Yeah, I think, I think
2: Murphy's going to win that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But, Phil, that New Jersey election did not get as much media coverage as Virginia, and certainly California didn't because... Gavin Newsom did not have to campaign. So there wasn't any messaging coming out from Newsom, and there wasn't a lot of media attention on Phil Murphy. So there wasn't a lot of attention to what he was saying, but there was a lot of attention to what McAuliffe was saying. And so that kind of drives home the point of what you say, and if it's not what people want to hear, is really going to impact your election.
2: Yeah, every election can be a little bit different because there are all sorts of different things that are happening. You know, in in the case in California with Gavin Newsom, uh, you know, Governor Newsom, you know, he uh, he ran against a very fractured um, opposition uh, that tried to rally around a candidate, but wasn't really super successful. And and I think the problem with a recall on that kind of scale was that, you know, at the end of the day, are you going to get something that's better than what you've got right now? And if you can't convince people of that, then people are just basically going to kind of stick with what they've got. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's sort of that pain pleasure principle uh, that people you know, have in their course of their life. Um, they just didn't feel as much pain. They felt like, well, yeah, I mean, things were kind of cruddy for a while, but they're getting a little better. And these other guys aren't really selling me. So I'm just going to kind of hold for it and stick with things the way they are. And that's really what happened in California. In, in New Jersey, it's a little different. They didn't quite have the same school issues and, and local issues that that we had. Uh, I think they were much more dragged down by um, by Biden and sort of the lack of popularity that the, uh, the National Democratic Party has. In, in Virginia, it became a case of, you know, Terry McAuliffe just, you know, he was a known quantity. He kind of thought that he could come in and, and just win again like he did um, you know several years ago. Um, but, you know, he just kept talking and he just kept saying the wrong things. And then and, and just the mistakes just started to pile up. And then once the momentum really started to build, um, it just became a, a train that he just could not get in front of to slow down in any kind of way. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's sort of unfortunate for him in, in that sense. Uh, that's a great example, though, of a politician, if he just stopped and listened to what was going on and had a little more objectivity, he probably could have pivoted, um, a little bit sooner and, and recovered from that because, because he didn't lose by very much. And, and Virginia is a fairly blue to purple state. It's not a Republican state anymore like it used to be. So, uh, yeah, he just, he just didn't listen and that's uh, that's what ended up happening to him in the end. Um, I always think back to um, races too, like uh, this would be a little before your time, but uh, when Martha Coakley ran against Scott Brown for for Senator Kennedy's Senate seat in Massachusetts, it was a special election, and you know Martha thought she had it in the bag. I mean, she went skiing, she went on you know, vacation, she didn't do a lot of campaigning. And what does Scott Brown do? I mean, being a Republican in Massachusetts, you might as well be a third party candidate, right? I mean, you're, you're almost non-existent as an entity, um, you know? And he just got in his pickup truck. He drove all over the state. He knocked on doors. He just appealed to people. He People just thought he was real. He was down to earth. And there became a moment during that election in which there was a poll. And the poll said, who do you want to vote for, you know? and a majority of people said they wanted to vote for Scott Brown. And then the second question was, well, who do you think is going to win? And a vast majority of people said Martha Coakley, the Democrat, because Democrats always win. And so it was sort of an interesting analysis in a lot of ways where people realized, well, shoot, if we vote for this guy, he actually stands a chance. And I think that's something that our media and our campaigning and we get out there, you have to sort of take that into account, right? Uh, is is don't you, know, you? gotta break those cycles, and it's hard because people get into habits of voting. And um, but I think if anything we've learned, if you listen to people and you work hard, you know, stand a pretty good chance of of making some uh, making some shockwaves.
0: Exactly. Yeah, people want to vote for someone, especially who not only listens to them, but they know yes. and they can see. Right? There's so. It's not just me, but so many people yeah. say all the times. I voted for this person, but I've never met them. I've yeah. you know, they've never knocked on my door. I've never gone to their rallies or anything like that. You're much more likely yeah. to get someone if you actually meet them and you listen to them.
2: Well, and I wonder how many politicians, how many candidates even are doing what you're doing, right? What you and Jennifer are doing, Jack, right? You're, you're doing podcasts, you're getting out there, but you're having fun, you know, and, and you can see it. You can see it in the tone of the content that you put out and the way you approach it. You listen, you talk, you have good conversations with people. People really like that, and and I think that that um, I think that brings you closer to people in a lot of ways. And I think ultimately that's what people are looking for. They're looking for somebody who who cares, who's got passion, who's got energy, who's willing to listen, and you know it seems like they've got a pretty good head on their shoulders, and that they're going to do a good job, and that their priority is service, right? And serving you, the voter, not. I'm doing this because I see this as a stepping stone in my political career, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of people look at politicians today as thinking about, well, he's probably a pretty good person for now, and maybe he'll become a senator, and, you know, and it, it, it's sort of like a celebrity thing, right? You know, like, how can you become famous? That's not mm-hmm. really what government service should be about. So, so kudos to you. I think you guys are doing th- things the right way. And I think hopefully Thank more you. people Thank will start to, to follow that model
1: as, as time goes on.
0: Oh, you're making us blush. <laughs> I
1: feel like we had, I feel like we had quite a few people because we interviewed Hans Herberg, mm-hmm. um, who was yep. running in. Remind me where he was uh, running? New Jersey District Twenty Two. Yeah, and he was just like mm-hmm. such a real dude and just so down to earth, and he yeah. was so awesome. We enjoyed our conversation with him so much. Like, yeah. he's doing exactly the same thing. Like, just a real dude who wanted to make change, and it was awesome.
0: And we're trying to have fun with it. Yeah. Just like you said, because politics campaigning, it's terrible.
1: It's hard. It's a lot of work.
0: You have to put in a lot yeah. of hours. And if you're not having fun with it, there's no way you can keep going.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone gave me advice many, many years ago when I started my work career. He said, you know, when you wake up in the morning, are you happy with where you're going? You know, uh, is, is, it, is it fulfilling you? Do you feel excited? Because if you don't have that energy, you don't have that pop when you wake up saying, yeah, I can't wait. I got a lot of great things that I'm going to do today. Um, you know, it's time to look for a change. And I think for a lot of people, they get into government and they just, they're thinking only about themselves. And it's not about the people and, and the change that they can do and, and some of the, you know, the impact to the broader society. And then, you know, I'm only going to do this for, you know, two years or maybe four years. It becomes more of thinking of like, gosh, well, you know, if I can do it for 10, then maybe I get part of this pension or maybe I can take another step up and I can make more money. And it's just, you know, people feel that sort of inner greed. And, and eventually when you do that, you know, you, you're, you're not doing things with the right energy, that right kind of positive energy in mind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: yeah, because if you look at the state to federal you know, you know uh, positions. You go from like thirty thousand dollars in a state position, and then you go to being a representative yeah. at one hundred and seventy-five thousand. I mean, that's a huge stepping stone, and it's it's a career move for anyone that wants to make yeah. it. Yeah,
2: yeah, and then you can leave your you know your Tesla uh, parked in the no parking zone in front of the uh, organic you know supermarket, right?
0: Stop, uh, stop stealing my ideas of what I'm going to do when I th- finally get into office. <laughs> That was first on my agenda. Just leave my car idling in a parking spot in the handicap spot. People do,
2: though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, in the surface, it's a wonderful story. You know, you go from being a bartender to being a community activist to being elected to Congress and, you know, to being a change agent. And next thing you know, you're. You know, you're leaving your your Tesla SUV. You know, your sixty eighty grand car, whatever it is, right? You know, and and you're running in to get your organic yeast and you know and and goat milk. It's just sort of like ugh. well, Where's it's because the you're a celebrity now.
0: You're famous. You you've made
2: it, right? Well, people and people milk that, and that's that's mm-hmm. the that's the problem. You know, mm-hmm. as they see it as as it's all about the lights and you know and. We just we need to get more, I think, down to earth people elected, people who are there to mm-hmm. say, look, we got some problems. I want to try to figure out the solutions. I want to help people out, and then I want to get out. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not here to you know be here for 20 or 30 years. Um, you know, and it's uh, and, and there, there are definitely people in Congress today. I mean, I you know we certainly come down pretty hard on Democrats or Republicans as uh, as the Reform Party, but. I mean, there are people who are elected who do seem to have, you know, their their commitments in the right places, more or less, you know, say probably, you know, maybe 80% of the time, 90% of the time. Uh, I worked on Capitol Hill and there was a member who used to take his own phone calls. And I mean, that's just unheard of uh, mm-hmm. even back then. I mean, it's completely unheard of today. I mean, the idea that you could actually call and reach your member of Congress, right? Um, you know, and, and most of the people these days, you write your Congressman, you're going to get a form letter it comes out of a computer mm. system that's auto-generated and it's just sort of you know thank you so much for your inquiry about you know insert subject right and it's all like data driven and they got a person whose job is just to send out these mass like form letters to people and there's just no feeling you know and that's i think people want to make a connection to their government in a lot of ways um i think covid has really brought about a lot of change you know because people when they needed it, it wasn't there for them, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. hey, I need, I need unemployment assistance because I just got laid off and the economy's crashing all around me, and you're on the phone. This says, you're, you're what, you're, you know, you're number 879, you know, and you're just sort of like, oh my God, right? I'm never gonna get help, and uh, and I think I think making that a priority, government service a priority, modernizing our government systems. Computer technology at the state and local level, all the way up to the federal level, is a real key priority. And, uh, and governments started to do that with COVID because they had no choice. Um, you know They were able to do things in two or three months that would take them two or three years. But now that things are kind of starting to normalize a little bit, you get that sense that people are kind of losing that urgency And and we can't allow that to happen because it's that urgency that's that's creating a lot of change and uh, and we need to keep the pressure on in order to to get the kind of government that we need right.
0: Absolutely. What we've read the stories time and time again about people who the the renters who are not getting the rental assistance not because it's not being being given out but because of the system is so backlogged or the website is always down and they're not able to file the application and get what they need.
2: Yeah. I mean, you had millions of people that were, you know, six months a year without even getting their first uh, stimulus checks because cause the IRS was so backlogged on paper. I mean, I even got a I even got a letter the other day from the IRS. You, you get you get you get mail from the IRS, right? And your eyes get you know your heart beats a little bit faster, right? And you open it up and you say we want you to know that we've received your inquiry from uh, you know August of 2020 and, and we'll be processing it and responding to you in the next several weeks. It's just sort of like, oh yeah, I already, I already figured that out, right? It's <laughs> like, you know, that was, it was over a year ago and they're just now getting back to writing you a letter. Um, yeah, so it's just, uh, I think people have had a chance and it's, it's similar with the school issues in, in Virginia. I think a lot of parents they wanted their kids to be in school. They understood, right, that, you know, there there are issues with that. You know, you gotta you know, there's safety issues, health issues, all of that stuff was in play. Um, but people just wanted to have some flexibility. They didn't get it. And then when they had kids at home and they're looking over their homework assignments and they're reading their stuff, they're just sort of like, Oh my god, what the hell are you learning? you know? And it's like And it sort of became a wake-up call for people to kind of get engaged so i think covid has been um you know it's caused a lot of problems i mean i think what they say that we lost 28 million years of life or something like that from from just from the last year of the pandemic something crazy but by the same token too uh, it's it's been a disruptive influence and i think it's it's going to be something that's going to help change how people view government and what their expectations are. And, um, and hopefully that will help us, you know, as a party grow as we get into the new year. So we'll see.
0: I would hope so. I always, I'm always on a tangent about state and local governments and how young individuals (laughs) seem to be so unaware of state and local governments, because when the federal election comes around, they're all out there marching down the street, but When your state local government comes up, they're nowhere to be found. So hopefully COVID is something that really initiated at least a few generations of individuals to uh, like younger individuals to at least focus on like, what is the system I actually live in? What can I do and what needs to be changed?
2: Well, people have a misunderstanding, right? They think, um, you know, they're having a problem with their garbage collection service. And so they call their U.S. Congressperson, you know, yep. and, and mm-hmm. so the person on the other end is just sort of like, "Yeah, I mean, you got to call your like state delegate or, mm-hmm. you know, your your you know your your HOA or something." Your right? mayor. You
1: know?
2: What's
1: I said your mayor?
2: Yeah, you know, it's just something along those lines, and I, so I think people, you know, have a have a disconnect about you know who does what in government. Uh, you know, I think that does come back to education to some degree too. I, I have I have two daughters, I have a younger, I have a four-year-old and I have a 22-year-old. So I have a pretty pretty wide range, right? And I'll never forget my 22-year-old saying, uh, saying hey, you know, wasn't Virginia the last state to sign that thingy thing after the Civil War? And I was just sort of like, the thingy thing after the <laughs> Civil War, what would we have signed? And then she goes, the Constitution? And I was like, so you think we signed the Constitution after the Civil War. And it was just like, you know, I was like, oh my God, like, you know, what is going on? And, um, you know, so I think we need, uh, you know, education. The Republicans certainly tried to make this an issue in the last election, particularly here in Virginia. But the reality is is that they're still advocating the same system that isn't working. It's it's not just failing their kids, it's failing, you know, kids in inner cities, it's failing kids in rural America. Because it's a system that was created, you know, 150 some odd years ago, right? Like the early 1900s, we had, uh, you know, public education based upon the factory model. And you know, if you ever, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Sir Ken Robinson. He passed away a few years ago, but he was, uh, he was an English, um, you know, uh, education expert. He did a lot of TED talks. So Google. Sir, uh, Sir Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson,
0: the name uh, actually does sound familiar. Sir, Robinson. yeah, you
2: know, he's done some really great TED talks. And he talks about creativity in the classroom. And he talks about how, you know, the system of education is just not designed for people to learn, you know, or to think creatively anymore, because it was really designed as a mass production model. Um, and, And we don't live in a mass production world anymore, right? Where where kids are like widgets or cars, you know, that just kind of go through an assembly line and after a year you get an upgrade, right? It's everybody wants to learn different things. Everyone learns at different paces now and, and everyone has a different baseline of knowledge because technology is so different, right? So I think education is gonna be a huge issue in 2022 and not in the same way that the Republicans have kind of looked at it. Um, and I think eth- ethics and government transparency, um, you know, and just having a government that works for the people is going to be something that's going to make a, a big strong headway back uh, in the in the next few months. So,
0: so who did the reform party kind of support in the Virginia election, and did that switch over time? So maybe in the beginning, were you supportive of McAuliffe, and then after everything kind of came out, you were more supportive of Yunkin? Or... Yeah,
2: you know, we take a position as a party that we only support our own candidates. So we didn't we mm-hmm. didn't run anybody in this election. Um, we we were really focused on a lot of the organizational and uh, operational changes that we needed to make at national before we started um, working through a lot of the state state issues, mm-hmm. and so now we're now that we've kind of turned some of those corners, we've got you know much more sophisticated computer systems and solutions all in place. We're doing our member outreach, we're doing all that stuff at the national level. Now we're going through all the fifty states. We're making sure all of our websites and all of our operations at the state levels are, are great um you know so it's a little unfortunate so we didn't really have um we don't support republicans or democrats um we'll support an independent if uh if your if your campaign is not aligned to a party right so if you if you're not a libertarian independent um you know the reform party could, would support you in, in an election right so that's that's typically how we do things Um, But we're really looking at 2022 as as sort of as a really great breakout year for us. And, you know, the benefit, while it's unfortunate, we didn't do a lot in Virginia this uh, this past election, um, the benefit, at least from my perspective, being uh, in Virginia, is that um, we we only have house races in 2022. So instead of having to focus on hundreds of, of races all across the state as sort of our first you know, uh, activity for the year, we can just focus on our, you know, our 10, 11 congressional races that we need to focus on, um, as we head into 2022. So that's, that's really kind of our focus. Um, but yeah, we don't, we, we've endorsed a lot of different independent candidates or reform party candidates, uh, in the last cycle, but, uh, but we definitely do not, um, you know, support Republicans or Democrats. So, so just like they so would not many- support us. So, <laughs>
0: Makes sense. So how many? uh, So how many people do you have running for 2022 in in Virginia, at least?
2: Yeah, so for this upcoming year, uh, they haven't actually opened up the uh, the the nomination process. So you know, our goal is going to be to run people in every single congressional district. Um, You know, one of the things that we're looking at in the other states, because you know, we're, you know, I'm focused on Virginia, uh, at least in sort of my role as being a, a state chair, but in my role on the national side, you know, we're looking at all the uncontested races that happen. You'd be surprised at just how many um, state, local, and even congressional races um, actually only end up having one candidate, uh, and so they're uncontested races. And so we're looking at all of those races to to field and recruit candidates uh, so that we can be competitive um, in, in those as well as in all the other races across the country. So. I can't give you like a head count of, of how many House races and Senate races and governor races across the country we're going to be in um, because we're really in the, in the active recruiting process now. Um, but at least I can say for Virginia, our goal is going to be, um, you know, to field candidates in, in all, of the, all of the 11 races that we're going to have to face off against. So.
0: It's actually pretty surprising how many races go uncontested. So I was looking into this. I it never is. mentioned it to Jennifer, but I, I wanted to reach out to other candidates to get them on the podcast. And I would go down the list to see who's running. And I think in Orlando, at least, I maybe came across five or six districts that were just uncontested. You know, they were all just yep. Democrat.
2: Yeah, it, it is surprising um, that you know that that some of the other parties don't even bother to run candidates or even have someone who's willing to take the plunge, particularly in a local race. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be worried about you know is it going to set me back a billion dollars or anything like that. Um, you know, you can you can run a very economical campaign if if you're if you're smart, you kind of think about it. But uh, yeah, people just don't do it, and that's I think that's one of the key opportunities that we see in 2022 is is targeting a lot of those kinds of races to say, um, you know, we offer a different kind of perspective, and I think people will I think people will be a lot warmer to that, right? It's different when you put a Republican against a Democrat, because I think sometimes those party names tend to mean something, you know, for people like, oh, I'll never vote for a Republican ever because they're just racist or they're they're this, right? Or, oh, I won't vote for a Democrat because they're crazy and they do all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, and so I think people go in with these mindsets, but if you're new and you're someone who's different and you say, look, you know, I'm non-ideological, I'm really just here to serve you, just to figure things out, find the best solutions. Here are some ideas, but I'm going to listen to other ideas. People are say, oh, all right. And then all those independents and all those Republican voters or Democratic voters who maybe don't have a candidate, you know, they start to look at you a little bit differently. And I think that gives people some opportunities to, um, you know, to get elected in races that, you know, a lot of people probably didn't think, you know, were, were possible to win. So
1: the amount of times that's happened to us someone will ask you know oh what what party are you affiliated with and we're like oh democrat they turn around walk away and they're done they're done with the conversation but if they actually turn around and come back which sometimes they do and we start to all have a conversation they're like actually i kind of like what you're saying so it's so interesting how how many people just shut you out immediately and and then they actually would have enjoyed talking to you
2: and that's the key, right? If, if you can, I think of politics in a lot of ways. It's uh, it's like you're starting a business or or anything that's that's new where you don't have any kind of identity. It's about getting that first conversation. And I think the biggest mistake people make, um, whether it's in business or in politics, is uh, you know, is they try to oversell themselves in the first ten seconds, right? And and the whole point of that first 10 seconds or that first 30 seconds, what they call kind of your elevator pitch, is to not completely sell yourself and get a vote, right? It's to open up the ground for the next conversation. And and you want to look at it as, you know, let me continue to evolve this conversation to a point where, you know, now we're having a good substantive dialogue. Um you know we're comfortable with one another we're building trust there's rapport all of that stuff starts to take take hold and then you have something real that you can work from right and i and i think a lot of times people um you know, they try very hard to do too much and it hurts them in the end or they go out and they think attaching themselves to a particular brand or name is going to be the key and then they find it backfires on them because people just they close the door, like they hear Republican, they hear Democrat, and it's like, forget it, you know, I'm out, right? So whatever you can do to get that first conversation, just get things rolling, you'll find that things tend to go a lot got better, get better from there, so.
0: It's actually really fun. It's almost like a game. So we've been <laughs> yeah. going out canvassing for about a month now, and so it's really fun yeah. to kind of find what the, kind of what the magic words are to get people kind of interested in what you have to say and kind of what gets them to stay standing there rather than, you know, psh- Closing the door on you.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm glad you guys are having fun. I mean, that's the key, too. You know, I mean, you guys want to do good things. You want to represent your community. You're taking an active interest in it. um, You're putting a lot of time and work and energy into it. But, man, if you're not enjoying it, then, Mm -hmm. you know, then it just makes things so much harder. It's uh, it becomes a slog. And and that's not any there's no reason to do that to yourself. Right. I mean, life is too short. Um, if you really want to make a difference, embrace it, you know, be yourself, get out there and do it. And, uh, and like I said, kudos to you. You definitely have that going for you as far as, you know, being who you are. And I think in this day and age too, the other really important value that I think people have is authenticity, right? I I think of it almost kind of like as honesty, but, you know, being authentic, true to yourself, it shows people that you're comfortable in your own skin, right? You're confident about who you are and, um, you know, and I think people do appreciate that a lot more than somebody who comes across kind of plastic or fake. And, and I think people are able to kind of, you know, sense that in interactions with people, it's sort of like, yeah. And, And when you get that feeling about somebody, you can't trust them. And it becomes harder to then, you know, engage and then ultimately vote for somebody if you don't, if you don't trust them. So,
0: Right, because you think they're trying to find the right thing to say rather the thing rather than the thing they actually believe. But if they told you, right. it might not get your vote.
2: Exactly, just telling you what you want to hear, blowing smoke up your, you know what, and and people people get tired of that. I think I think you see that too in in younger voters more than than older voters, right? Because I think. Older voters, um, particularly minority voters, they they get very habitual, right? It becomes, you know, well, my father was a Republican, I've been a Republican for thirty years, and, you know, or I've been a Democrat. And um, but if you look at like if you look at some of the threads um, in social media conversations and videos and whatever it is, and and I do this with whether it's minority voters in Richmond or, or others, you know, the younger voters recognize that their parents and older generations are very set in their ways. And and, mm-hmm. and they're just sort of like, yeah, you know what? Um, you need me to come and save you. And this was sort of the attitude that a lot of, particularly a lot of black voters had in Virginia was, you know, we need you. The Democratic party needs you to save us, save Virginia. And and you look at the thread of some of these comments and people are saying, yeah, I'm keeping my cape in the closet. You guys can go try to save yourselves because, you know, I, I, you know we saved you you know, two years ago and four years ago, and you haven't done anything for us. So, you know, get back to us later, right? And so I think if you're authentic and you you set reasonable expectations, people will appreciate that. And I think that's the key for, um, you know, if you wanna get into politics, uh, at least as, as things kind of go forward, I think that's gonna resonate a lot more with voters.
0: Well, Michael, that's all the time we have, but thank you for joining our podcast. And you're welcome any time. Yeah, back thank anytime. you guys. Yeah. Oh, and if, if no one knew this, yeah. Mike is actually what would you say? Like uh oh, 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 I can't think of the right word, but he knows a lot about sci-fi. So I think we can have an episode where we talk yeah. about sci-fi, nothing about just sci-fi, just TV
1: in general. And
2: yeah. TV, movies. We could do a whole we could do a culture show.
1: Absolutely. Oh. Oh. See even even the computer
2: Yes, is. if you guys are interested, let me know. Yeah, have for sure. About.
1: We will definitely have you back either to talk more politics or, or yeah to just talk about TV. All and right. Well, you we guys will stay see. well,
2: stay well, stay safe on the campaign trail, and and good luck, and and we'll we'll talk again soon.
0: We definitely Great. will, and we'll see everyone next time.